I plan to go to law school after I graduated, but uh, looks like my folks won't have enough money to put me through college. Well, the world needs ditch diggers, too. Entrepreneurship, scaling business plans. Then I became the CEO man. Are you ready to be mentored by some of the best minds in entrepreneurship in the world? Then you're listening to the right podcast, Ditch Digger CEO. We're going to be interviewing CEOs and founders who will be telling their amazing rags to riches stories. These entrepreneurs who dominate the industries they serve will be sharing the secrets to their success. We'll be talking to millionaires and billionaires. Many who started with nothing. You're going to be mentored with golden nuggets of shared experiences from my guest, whose time is worth thousands and even tens of thousands of dollars per hour. I started in the paving business right out of high school. And with no college education, mentorship has been my education of choice. I started over 25 companies in the last 20 years, have generated over $1.5 billion in revenues. My guarantee is this. If you listen to Ditch Digger CEO and you want to be more successful, you will become more successful. The secrets of my success and for many of the world's greatest business leaders will be revealed. Let Ditch Digger CEO mentor you. Ozzy, we're really excited to have you on board here. Uh, Robbie uh, and, and I, uh, I, I know a lot about you. Robbie's learned a little bit about you, but uh, you are the example of the American dream, brother. I mean, you're, you've, you've done so much in your life that many of us will will be, uh, you know, which we could do. I, I, you know, if there's one thing I'll miss in my life is never serving. I, I admire people like you that, that uh, have the guts to serve and, and, and take yourself out of the, especially when you're an entrepreneur like you, to take yourself out of the, the, the picture of building something in entrepreneurship to serve your country is an amazing thing. And uh, you, you've, you've done a lot of that. And I, I want you to tell your story from the beginning as a kid, what happened, you know, where you came from and all that. But uh, Ozzy, introduce yourself and, uh, and just, uh, you know, just a, a couple sentences of who is Ozzy uh, and, and, and uh, you know, yeah, just basically who are you, bud? Yeah. Um, thanks, Gary. Thanks, guys, for having me. You know, it's a pleasure. Gary, it's been a great pleasure to know you. you you're just such a great person and an individual. And, and, you know, the more I learn about you, the more things you do, you're, you're just such a giving person. So, um, well, I, nice. Anything I can do to support you, brother. Um, anyways, uh, so um, Ozzy Giglio, I'm the CEO of Windy City Fox Motorsports. Um, we started the company about 20 years ago, uh, 2000, uh, and bought our first location in 2001. And, uh, you know, live in Hinsdale, Illinois with my wife, Jill, and our two little babies, uh, twins at two and a half. And uh, that's it, man. That's me. And uh, so, Ozzy, and, and you know what, I want to, uh, if you could tell your story from the beginning, you know, I know your work ethic is incredible, uh, your love for America is incredible. Tell me what, what, uh, you know, what built those values, you know, when you were growing up, uh, how did you think, and, you know, who, you know, who, who gave you these values, where did they come from, and, and uh, tell us about that. Yeah, you know, I, I grew up in, in the near western, western suburbs, and yeah, Berwyn and, and Oak Park, and, um you know, my dad was a middle management guy at, at uh, uh, a small company, and, you know, everything he did was about working. I mean, my dad worked from 7 o'clock in the morning until 7 o'clock at night, and the focus in our household was hard work and education. 
I mean, it was all about getting an education, being committed, working hard. Um, you know, and we came from a family of, of what I would call patriots. You know, my uncles uh, were all World War II veterans on both sides. And, you know, we just were a working family. It was a hardworking family. And I think that that experience, and, you know, we didn't have a great deal, I, I don't think. But I never remembered being deprived or poor or anything like that. And, and in fact, you know, when it came to, for example, sports, I always had everything I needed, you know, the best glove, the best bat, the best skates. But my parents were, were, were tremendously committed to their children, but making them understand the value of everything that they were given. So um, I, I think that that was a big part of, of growing up was just um, the, the focus on, on hard work education and, and really being committed to your family and, and doing the right thing. And I, I think that, that that's instilled in you at a very early age, you know. Um, my, my, my father would, would always talk about work, right, and, and, you know, the fact that it's important and we've got to provide for our family and, you know, I want to be at your baseball game and I'm going to get there early, but I got to go back to work. And those are the kind of things that really resonated with, from, you know, with me at an early age. And I, I, I don't think that, that I would be the person I am today, and both my mother and father were like that. And, and so my mother supported my father working, and I think that that was something that, you know, sometimes you don't see, and in, in, if you don't have that kind of support at home, I think it's really difficult to, you know, to really commit yourself to things. And, and again, it wasn't like, you know, he was a very, we were very wealthy or had a lot of money, but he was committed to making sure that, you know, you were going to get an education. I went to a private high school. I went to Fenwick High School. And, and I remember this. And, you know, it's like my high school, it cost $1,000 a year to go to, to Fenwick when I went to Fenwick. Now, and today, in today's dollars, I think it's about $20,000 a year to go to Fenwick. And, and, you know, so that's a lot of money uh, when, when, when you're in a lower middle class family. And so those kinds of commitments – you know, my family made uh, when we were very young. And, and, and I think that that was the kind of stuff that it just was part of my fiber. So it, you know, th there was no other way for me. And, and, and I think even in the neighborhood that we lived in, people were just like that. They just, they just worked hard. Um, how, many, how many kids in your family, Oz? There was just me and my sister. So, and you, you've met my sister, Patty. So, yeah. Um, you know, my sister, you know, was, is, is five years older than me. And I think, you know, grew up in the same environment. Um, she was, you know, that's a different day and age. And so I can say this, she was a girl. So I think that she was a little bit more protected. Um, I, I was a guy, so, you know, get out there. Uh, you know, my, my first job, I had three jobs as my first job. So I, I pumped gas. I worked in a gas station. And I, you know, I, I, I go back to those days and um, a pump gas and, 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 you know, I had these little mentors along the way. So the guy that I worked for when I was pumping gas, I would bring my homework to, to, to the gas station because I was working at night. And he caught me doing my homework one night and I thought, man, this guy's just going to fire me. And he came over to me and he said, I love the fact that you're doing your homework while you're here. And, you know, he kind of made it very important to me, I mean, he you know, didn't know anything about my family. I, I just got hired. I walked in off the street. But he was so supportive of education 
that that reinforced everything my family always always enforced about or reinforced about education was that education had to come first and it was one of those things that was going to take you through the rest of your life right. and and you know it was a great experience for me um, so and, and it was it was pumping gas and cutting grass and and you know then I was a lifeguard so that was kind of fun too so so gas gas grass and beaches <laughs> yeah, well, pools, but but yeah. Oh, pools. All right. Well, gas, grass, and bikinis. And bikinis. That's right. <laughs> so that that's that awesome. was kind of you know that was you know and 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 going to Fenwick I think was, um, you know Fenwick was a tremendous game changer I think for for uh, you know as as a as a as a young as a young man and at the time Fenwick was all boys so it it, it wasn't. You know, it, it was it wasn't even really a choice for me. It was sort of a directed, um, and and so I went to Fenwick and kind of not really knowing what to expect. And it really was a strict Catholic upbringing, um, and and but again, focus on hard work and sports. And sports was you know a big part of being at Fenwick. And and if you were not part of the sports program at Fenwick, you were kind of missing half of what was going on at the school. And, and I think that that sports, you know, integrated into my life really made you focus on teammates and teamwork, which is mm -hmm. a big part of the military and, and, and really being committed to hard work. And, and, and that all played together to kind of, I think, shape the rest of my life was, was my education at Fenwick. And, you know, I think if you look around today, you know, I, I I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stamp the, the, the chest for Fenwick, but I mean, there's a great many of our local and national leaders who graduated from Fenwick or schools like Fenwick, and I think that they they create a real terrific environment for you know for our young men and women today. So um, you know that. What, I was, what, sport, what, what sports did you play, Oz? I played hockey for for a couple of years, and I played baseball for four years. All right. Yeah, so I, I mean, I you know lo loved loved the the sporting uh, you know the sports life and um, you know being a part of a team and 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 being a contributing member of an organization was a big you know that was a big thing that camaraderie is a big part of I think uh, of people's lives and I think that being on sports teams really develops that in a big way. And that's where you got your golf swing then, huh, dude? I mean, you're a natural athlete with that, with this, with the hand-eye coordination. I definitely think I got my golf swing from hockey, that's for sure. <laughs> well, that's a good thing. I, hockey players that I play golf with are usually naturally way better than I am. You know? it's, uh, it's, uh, and I know you got some of that. That's cool. All right, now, so, so what, what inspired you to, to go from school then? And did you go directly in the military or did you go to college first? No, I went to, I went to college and then I went to law school. And then, and then, you know, again, it, it, it's, it's, you gotta, you gotta put yourself in, in the perspective of the time period. You know, we're talking about the, the, the greedy eighties, right? So as you get into college and stuff, the eighties were a greedy period of time. So I thought that, you know, I wanted to go to school. I wanted to, to be, and I read some of your questions too, and I have my own advice. So I, I wanted, you know, this, this, this path that I wanted to be on, you know, again, education was important. So, you know, for me going to college, going to law school and then, and then, you know, being, being a lawyer. And so that was, 
probably developed in my freshman or, or sophomore year in high school. So, you know, I went to, went to, went to college and, and, um, that, and, and at the, in my second or third year in college, I really don't remember this. I, I, um, these Marine recruiters came to, um, to the university and they were talking to people, you know, and, and, and you kind of, you know, I think some of these things are seeds that get planted over a long period of time. And, you know, some, some of the guys that, that, that I was with were, you know, they went into the, 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 the Marine Corps uh, summer program in college because you could do that at the time. The Marines had a program uh, then. And, you know, I was too busy really focusing on playing baseball. I mean, I would play baseball in school and then I would, I would play summer ball you know, with the Melrose Park Eagles, which were like a semi-pro team, and the Valparaiso Blues, you know, these little semi-pro teams that were really comprised of people who were out of college and in college. And it was pretty big baseball at the time. And then, you know, I also played very competitive softball. So, you know, my life at that point was really committed to the sport of baseball. And, and so I didn't want to divert any attention. So then, you know, then I went to law school and, and, that's when I really started to focus on, you know, maybe I, I ought to think about doing something a little, um, a little bit more focused, at least for a period of time. Um, graduated from law school, went, went to work for a couple of years and then decided to go into the military. And that's, so I, I went in late. I was a late bloomer. And I think everything I've kind of done in life, you know, including having kids has been a little bit later, but it's, it's kind of been on my own schedule. Um, so, you know, t I, I was more, I was more mature. I had a different attitude, you, you know, um, some of the officers that, that were my peers, you know, my peers were, you know, four years, five years younger than me, um, which, which is not a big deal, but, you know, at the time it's a pretty big deal because that five years of maturity gives you a lot of, it just yeah. gives you a different perspective on life. And, and so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it made a big difference for me. How long were in the military? Well, you do like uh, I was. I've been in for thirty-two years now in total, active in reserve. And so, you know, I, I was in. I went in as a reserve officer, so I didn't go to the academy. So you go in as a reserve officer, and I went on periods of active duty, and then back in the reserves, and active duty, and in the reserves. And so, you know, it's kind of a it's a mixed career, but it's it it gave me sort of the luxury of spending time as a civilian and then spending time as a committed, um, as a, as a committed military officer. So, so when, when did you, uh, when, when did you, when did you become an entrepreneur? When did you think that, that you wanted to build businesses and stuff? What, what was that, you know, focus for you? Yeah, I thought about that. So, so, um, you know, in, in, in nine, I, I think it was 90, 91 or 92. I, I actually, I went to work for uh, Sam Zell in the, you know, uh, equity. And I think that's where I really recognized that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. You know, in, in those days, um, uh, it, 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 it was, it was really kind of the wild west in Sam's organization. I mean, it, you know, Sam and Bob had built just a, a you know, an unusual, uh, amount of wealth in a relatively short period of time. They were they were interesting. Who was Bob? 
Bob Lurie, Bob Lurie, you know, Lurie, you've, you've heard of the Lurie Children's Hospital. Yeah, yes. Ann Lurie, that's Bob. That was Bob's partner. And, and, okay. and he, he died, I think, uh, in maybe 1991 or 92, I think, Bob died. So he died early of, of lung cancer. Um, but, but those guys were partners for a long period of time. They had been partners since they were at the University of Michigan. And, and built a lot of private real estate and, and really were great entrepreneurs. And, you know, I went to work for those guys and, and, you know, they were, they were just interesting and fascinating and, and, you know, um, j j just the, the ability to, to do your own thing just was inside of me. Right. I mean, I, I it, it was, it, you realized it right away and you just loved it. Um, and, and, and especially in the early days at equity, you could, you could kind of be an entrepreneur with a lot of, you know, with a lot of net below you, you know, you and I don't have a net anymore, Gary. There was a lot of net below you when you were at equity. So, so, um, uh, you know, then, then, uh, while I was there, we, we did, we did three public offerings. We did, uh, manufactured housing, which is MHC. We did equity residential, which is EQR. And then we did, equity office, which is EOP. Um, and then I wound up staying in equity residential. Um, I became uh, a senior vice president for business development, you know, kind of doing acquisitions and some other work. And, and that was thrilling and exciting. And like anything else, we went from, we went from about a $300 million. When we went public at EQR, we went public at 300 million. And by the time I left, we were a $9 billion company. So wow. dramatic change in, yeah, yeah. I mean, dramatic what change in how you. What was your role there? Yeah. Well, well, my role was generating revenue from sources other than rent. So, so if you can think about it, if you're in the, if you're in the property business, your main source of income is rent. Um, and, but, but, but we had developed all kinds of ways uh, to actually increase revenues at properties from from areas unrelated to rent, and and, and these were unheard of previously, and and so it started with little things like, you know, washing machines in basements, and then it was billing for cable and and, and internet. It, it then it turned into billing for water and sewer and all kinds of things like that. So basically, developing businesses. Sure. Um, that, that were attendant to the real estate where the real estate owner could actually derive some profit. And by the time I left on a $9 billion company, we were adding about four cents a share from, from that, from that Avenue. And so it was a, it was a relatively large business sector, um, which, mm -hmm. which exists today. So, um, and, and that really gave me the ability to do a lot of really, you know, kind of big, large deals that I never would have been able to do. Um, nice. but, but it was a, it was a large company, you know, it became and, and a large, uh, very large company. Your experience in the military gave you kind of structure and all that kind of stuff. What, what do you feel it gave you to be successful in business for Sam? And then today, not, you know, not who we are today, even. Yeah, I, I think that, that the military is, is really a, a you know, if I had a recommendation for anybody who's 25 years old or 23 years old, it would it would be to spend two to five years in the military. Be patient, right? Because 
that's a very short period of time for a young man and yeah. and get the experience because it's it's all about and you know this Gary because I think you're a natural leader it's all about leadership and and I think that you know what what you learn in 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 the military is how to be a leader particularly on the officer side right and and you learn you learn the the the, the need and the commitment to team and and to your people and I think that those are you know, very fundamental things that people can learn in all sorts of areas of life, but I think they're particularly mm -hmm. acute on the, on the military side, especially when you're confronted with challenging environments. And, and, and I think that those were things that you just couldn't replace. Um, sure. It, it is the, and, and it's all about discipline, too. It's discipline and sweating the details without getting wrapped around the axle about those details. And so you, you got to know the function of everyone on your team and you got to be able to do those functions. And I think leading from the front is the most important thing. So, so I've got a so, son that's uh, a senior in high school. He's, a little, he's always been a little immature. He's, he, uh, he, he was born with some, some issues, but he's gotten through those issues when it comes to some cerebral palsy and, and, uh, uh, fetal alcohol syndrome is that we, we adopted from Russia. You may know the story about Nick, Nick uh -huh. Nikita. Or, or anyway, bottom line is he, he likes the idea of the military. He's a strong little son of a gun. You know, he's, he's uh, pound for pound. He's, he bench presses over twice his weight. He doesn't work out very much, right? He's really strong little guy, physically fit. And, and he doesn't like school, but he, and he wants to join the military. Does he, does he stick out, even though he's not good academically, doesn't like it like to be at school, does he stick out at you know, four years of college to, so that he can start in, a, in the military in a, in, a, in a better position with, you know, right, right into leadership, or does he just, just join, right? That's the question. That's kind of what we're going back and forth on right now. Yeah, I think, I think you know, the, the, the military requires a great deal of discipline and, and um, you know, whether, whether officer enlisted, it's, it's all about school. I mean, there's, there's, there's an entire line of education from the day that you get in the door until the day that you leave. I mean, I, I was going to the Navy War College at 50 years old, you know, spending a year reading Clausewitz on war. And, and so, so your education never stops and it, and it starts the minute you walk in the door. And so I think that, that get, getting an education first, that you know, a college education is a good thing because it gives you a little bit of discipline on, on you know, before you get to the military because he's going to need that. And, and, and it, it's, it's, it, it really is all about learning in the military. Um, so you're saying the habit of learning, the habit of learning is one of the most important things. And if, you, if he's not, he doesn't love it, like it now, he's going to have to like it then. So why not, right? Yeah. Get that habit, habit in, in, a, in college, even if he goes to junior college for a couple of years and a four-year college the last two years, right? I think that, yeah, I think that that's, you know, so I, I think junior colleges, frankly, are a good way to go for, for people who haven't really figured out yet where they like education or not because they can spend a couple of years, you know, being at home. And it's, it's, I think it's a huge benefit. It gives you the right maturity when you go in, too. Um, and, you know, and, and, and there's certainly – uh, kids that make the transition from, you know, being 17, coming into the military, and, and, you know, three or four years later, they're a different individual. But I think the more successful people are the ones that have some level of education even before they go in. And they, they just sure. do better because that there's a little bit of discipline that education brings to the table. Um, 
And in the military, you know, it's not just about being a leader in the military. It's it's also, you know, you, you got to know how to be a leader, and you got to be you, you got to know how to be a follower too, right? I mean, because yeah. you know, and 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 so I think that that learning kind of gives you a little bit of the day to day self discipline that that is going to be required. Sure. Okay, so so let's talk about uh, you know some military experiences. What are the what's the some some crazy experiences you've had in the military and, and uh, things that you've you know you, you love to love to hear a couple of stories if you got them. Well, um, I, you know I, I I guess I don't I don't necessarily like to tell stories about crazy stuff, but I, I think that you know I I was in the military in the right place at the right time to have the right experiences in life. And that, that's all I can say. I mean, you know, 9-11 um, came along and I, I had already been in the military for, you know, over 10 years and, and it was a peacetime military. I mean, we, we, we were really at peace for all practical purposes. Um, and, 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 you know, it was a, you know, we had a few, be at Panama and, and, you know, the first Gulf War, which lasted a couple of months. I mean, but, but for all practical purposes, we were essentially a peacetime military. And, and, and so then we transitioned uh, um, to, to, uh, to, a, um, to a real wartime military. And I think that, that you get the risk. I, I, I lost you after Panama, Ozzy. I don't know if these guys – Chris, did you hear Ozzy after Panama? I, I did, yeah. What's that? Yeah, I heard him. You, got, you guys got me okay? You can start over anyways, if that's okay. After Panama. Yeah, I, I, I just, yeah, I just said we, we were essentially in a peacetime military. I mean, you had events like Panama with Noriega, and, and you had kind of the first Gulf War that was, you know, a relatively short period of time. But for all practical purposes, you know, we were in – kind of a peacetime military for a long, for a very long period of time after Vietnam yeah. and then kind of into this, into this phase. And then we, and then, you know, we had 9-11 and of course it, we, we really transitioned from a peacetime military to a wartime military. And I think the military is really at its best um, when, when, when it's, it's fighting a war and not that any, not that any military officer, at least that I know the good ones really want a war, but it's what, it's what the military does best. And, and I think that, you know, I, I actually was so fortunate um, because I got to work at a place called JSOC, which is the Joint Special Operations Command, for a very long period of time. And, and, and that element, you know, had a great deal to do with the war on terrorism. And so I, I you know, I had the good fortune of working for, uh, General McChrystal, Admiral McRaven, uh, General Votel, and 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 these individuals, you know, Tony Thomas, General Thomas, um, great individuals who really shaped the culture of our of our wartime military, and who really, I think, prosecuted the war on terrorism for a long period of time. And you know, the lessons learned from McChrystal, McRaven, Votel, and Tony Thomas, it just were immeasurable. Um, I mean, I, you know, I, I met Karzai, I, you know, these are, these are things that, that I never thought, you know, the, the Western suburbs of Chicago, 
I just never thought I would see myself in those positions. And, you know, having to make decisions of life and death and having to work in environments where really you're living in, in kind of a no-fail situation where, you know, if you screw up, um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost a lot. You know, and, and not in terms of, I mean, lives, but, but political aspects and, and all kinds of things. And so I, I think that, that those experiences over the course of, I don't know, 10 or 12 years were just, they were, they were, they were phenomenal for me. And then, you know, and then as I, I, I became a more senior officer, you're sort of, you know, you get removed from the field, so to speak. Um, and then I went to work at the Pentagon. Um, which was another just, uh, uh, you know, to see the level of, of sophistication um, that our, our national government brings um, to, to the world and to work in that environment where those decisions are made, even at the White House, um, is, is yet, was yet another just unusual, um, uh, um, a really just a, a benefit that I was able to, to work in that environment for, for a long period of time. And, you know, those experiences shaped me. And, and you know, at some level, you, you kind of walk away and you go, it, it, you know, it's great being an entrepreneur. I love what I do. We're, we're, we're rewarded greatly for it. Um, but probably some of the most rewarding experiences that I've ever had have not been in, in financial reward. They've been through my experience in the military. You know, to the point where it was hard to remove myself from, from that environment for, for, for long periods of time. So, um, so just, 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 you know, great leadership, um, a real ability to see how, how we, we do business and, and um, you know, just, a, just honored to be a small part of, of all of that. Uh, it's got, it, so it, it had to make you way stronger when it comes to making business decisions. Like we look at, you know, many people look at what's going on today with this coronavirus and everything else, and we have to make tough decisions, right? Who do we lay off and who do we keep and, and what businesses do we do we have to shutter? I mean, as business leaders and entrepreneurs, a lot of tough decisions to make. But these decisions aren't that tough, man, when you look at the decisions you had to make when lives were, were at risk and, and, and politics were at risk and everything else. These decisions in, 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 as an entrepreneur aren't that difficult, are they? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't, I, don't uh, I, I, I mean, I, I think they're hard decisions, don't get me wrong, um, they, and they really are, but, but I think that it's, it's you know, they're, they're just not the same type of decisions, and, and they don't impact the same, you know, they're, they're just impacting different people in different situations, and I don't want to, there's no more weight on it that I want to place on it than that. But, but I think that it's, you know, we all take our lives very seriously and, and, and I think we should, but you know, I, I, I always had this, this sort of perspective where I would, I would say that I took my job very seriously, but I never took myself very seriously. Um, and I think that was an important perspective, right? I mean, I never wanted to, think of myself as, as above anything. So, you know, my job was very important, but I did not take myself very seriously. I, you know, I would have to sort of kick myself every day going, I'm not really sure why people are asking me these questions, but I'm going to get the right answers and I'm going to provide the right answers. But, you know, I, I can't believe I'm involved in this. And, and so those are, those are the kinds of things that I think I look back on and, you know, truly miss because, 
you really felt like you were making a significant difference in, 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 in impacting the globe. Um, you know, today I impact the lives of 420 people and that's important. That's really important. Um, but I, but I was in a small way, you know, uh, in, in the chain of a lot of decisions that I think impacted a lot more people than that. And it, it you know, it made me, it, it made me feel like I was a part of something larger than, than me. So right. great. And, and, and I, 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 I think that, you know, I think actually that McChrystal is speaking in some YPO series, if I'm not mistaken, even tomorrow. I'm not, um, and I think some folks have seen McCraven speak, you know, just two of the greatest guys that, that I think two great leaders different in their approach to leadership, but two great leaders um, that, that really, I think, uh, did great things for the United States. Uh, you know, I don't think their true stories can, can will ever really be told, but those two individuals did great things for the United States. Robbie, do you have a question? Yeah, well, first I was just gonna say thank you for serving. Uh, sincerely mean that. Uh, and my follow-up question to that was going to be uh, a curiosity around the fundamentals or frameworks of leadership that are taught in the military and how that's transferred into your entrepreneurial life. Uh, and obviously recognizing there's multiple different forms of leadership, but uh, it seems like you had the opportunity to learn from uh, some fascinating humans. So I'm curious, was it nuggets of each one of them that you sort of took into your entrepreneurial life or was it a specific uh, learning that you had throughout your your studies there. Yeah, I think it's just, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's almost basic. And, and, and I think some people, you know, I think that there's, there's definitely some punchlines, right? So, I mean, I think it's, you know, leading from the front, it might sound like a punchline, but it's very true. You, you have to be capable and willing to do the things that you're going to ask your people to do and, and without reservation. Right. So, I mean, you know, whether you're jumping out of an airplane, you want to be the first guy out of the airplane and your people first, then, then, then I think those are the things that will reward you and the team members, um, and, and they will all pull together. Um, I worked for uh, a, a gentleman by the name of uh, uh, Ray Palumbo, General Palumbo, uh, who was a young lieutenant um, during uh, the Somali crisis. So, uh, Ray Palumbo flew helicopters in Somalia, um, and and you know you, you you've seen the movie, and and uh, he he became a general. He was my boss a couple of times, uh, once forward in Afghan or twice forward actually in Afghanistan, and then he was my boss at the Pentagon. And and one of the things we would talk about is our biggest asset. You know, our largest asset as the U.S. government is our people, and so if if you embrace that. If you embrace the notion that people are your biggest asset and you really, I mean, that's not, a, again, I can't, it's a punchline, but if you really embrace it, that's where your reward comes from because people will do great things if they really feel appreciated. And, and, and I think that's hard. It's always hard because sometimes, you know, for example, when you have to lay people off or furlough, furlough people, it's, it's difficult to make them feel like they're part of the team. But those are the kinds of things that, that if you do it right and you do it and and with with the right grace, I think that you you know team comes first and and that's a big part of what I, I think is a part of every military organization 
uh, big or small. So, you know, lead from the front and team comes first. And I think that those are two key features that you always want to keep in your brain. Um, yeah. I love you know, that. And it's simple. It's just, it's simple stuff, right? You know, right. whether you're the last, you got to be the last guy, you got to be the first guy out of the airplane and the last guy in the chow line. It's, the, you know, pretty basic stuff, but that's kind of the way it goes. Yeah. I, I love the simplicity behind it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's pretty simple, but you know, so what, take care of people. Right? What is your rank today? Now you haven't retired or anything. You're still uh, in reserves or what? Uh, yeah, I'm still a reservist, and, and I think, uh, you know, sink home is maybe pushing me to, to, to retire. So I think this summer I think I, I, I will retire. Uh, and my, my rank is a captain, which is, is in the Navy. So that's the same thing as a colonel in, in the other services. The Navy has a slightly different uh, um, jargon for its rank structure. So, but, but it's, it's, it's an 06, which is the same thing as a colonel. Okay, cool. Um, all right. Now when, when you, were you, weren't you involved in, uh, okay, so start, did you start your business initially before 9-11 or tell us about that? Well, that's a great story. Uh, it really is actually. <laughs> so we, we, um, we started our company in 2000 and actually closed on, on um, the first business, which was uh, then known as Villa Park Harley Davidson, on March of 2001. Um, so I, I was uh, in Germany on, on 9-11. Um, I was in Germany on, a, um, on an exercise for SOCUR, which is the Special Operations Command Europe. And, you know, doing an exercise, I thought I'd get a couple of last jumps, and I was actually thinking about retiring, getting out of the military. You know, it had been, you know, 12 years or whatever at the time, and we were starting this business, and I thought, you know, it's probably something that I, I you know, I, I, I lived a great life, and I enjoyed a lot of the stuff that I was doing. I'll go to Germany, do this exercise, get a couple of jumps in, and uh, September 11th happened. On September 11th, I was in Germany, um, and my wife was at Harley-Davidson Motor Company in class, uh, and an admiral that I had, uh, had uh, served with previously actually wound up working at Harley-Davidson, um, oh. Benny Suggs. Uh, yeah, a really neat guy, and he, he was working at Harley at the time. He went and got my wife. Um, and uh, got her secure, and I, I wasn't able to talk with her for several days, but he, he, he made sure that she was taken care of. And um, so I, I was then in Germany for about, uh, about a month, came home for about three weeks, and then uh, get, went, went back and, and then served for the next 18 months. And it was probably the, next, the most challenging time in, in our business because we had a great deal of debt, um, we were just getting started, and, you know, I was off in the military doing fighting the war on terrorism at a very early phase um, where, where there was not a lot of, you know, people did not know a lot of things at that point in time. I mean, you know, we, we were learning a lot, and, 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 and no one really knew anything. And, you know, my wife was sort of thrust into the business in a big way. Um, 
and really sort of managed her way through all of that for a long period of time, you know, to the point where it was like, we're going to have to refinance our house and do all this stuff just to stay alive in our business. And because I, I couldn't be there. And a lot of times I uh, wasn't able to, to have, um, you know, any, any really substantive conversations uh, over what was happening in the business. And so we, I was, you know, we, we as a family were tremendously fortunate to have my wife involved in that business and, and a lot of support from the people who were employees, you know, some of which are still with us today. Um, so it, it was a, it was a, it was a tremendous experience. And of course, you know, that's, that was the start of our career at Harley Davidson. So, you know, we had about four or five months. Yeah. Where's the, where's your wife's business experience before that? She's a marketing, she, she, she really is, uh, my wife has so many great ideas. I mean, she, she's phenomenal, terrific marketing person. Um, but she has such a keen eye for detail, Gary. I mean, you know, I, you know, I think you and I are a lot of like, we think big, we have a lot of vision, you know, when it comes to details, you know, I, they make me nervous. Yeah. It, my, my, my wife, it just, it gets to the nasty ass detail and she loves it. And she, I mean, which made her a great operator. I mean, she, she operated, you know, uh, the 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 stores just just tremendously, particularly early on when I wasn't involved at all. Because she was such a great, you know, great great person with details, terrific with people. Just had a great way with people. Um, uh, so so it was just interesting. But but the, and we you were, were sort of, And when you went that? into this, when you went into the Sazi, she was pumped up about it. And, and as your as your you know life partner, yeah. she was part about being an entrepreneur too. Yeah, she, I mean, you know, I think she loved the idea. She, 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 you know, thought this was great. She thought it would be fun. Um, she didn't, we, you know, she, she thought that she would do some marketing for us and kind of, you know, help out with, with some stuff like that. And, you know, very shortly after we got started, she got very much involved in the, the general merchandise business, you know, clothes and boots and all that sort of stuff that was helping there. And then just got a little bit more involved in the marketing. And then when 9-11 happened, she just was sort of thrust into it. Um, uh, so, it, you know, it, 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 you know, we didn't, at the time, we didn't have any kids. And so she really had this business and, you know, she'd be there for 14 hours a day, maybe more sometimes just to make it go. And you know, it was tough, tough in the beginning. Okay, so after nine eleven, for the for the first uh, you know couple of years, I mean, what went on there for you and your you know between you know juggling the military and your job there and and the and the business and all that? How the, how what was that like? Well, it was. I mean, you know, again, I I was home very little, and and she sort of took on the 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 role of of really operating the organization. So that that played well for us. I'm mean, you know. One thing that that we were fortunate about, you know, at the time, yeah, Harley Davidson really was on fire. So it was, you know, it it was a little the the business itself was different then than it is today. It's still, you know, every business is difficult to manage, especially when you have inventory and, you know, I mean, you know, it's not it's never easy. There was a you know, it was a slightly different business environment back then than, than we had today. And, you know, and then when we faced, uh, you know, the major recession and things like that. So, so I, I think we were a little bit fortunate in that we were, you know, we were early on 
but it was a good business environment and you could make a few mistakes along the way, learn from those mistakes and not get hurt too bad. Um, but, but it was still difficult because she was really by herself. And so, you know, we, we had some, we had some really good YPO friends that helped Paul Darley, you know, the, the, would check in with Jill from time to time. And, you know, there were other members of my YPO organization that, that stayed in touch and, and really helped, you know, we, 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 we were very fortunate, very blessed to have great friends, great folks from YPO, you know, only in YPO kind of thing. Um, yeah. And so awesome. we, we made it through. Yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, and then when did you buy your second dealership and, and, and tell us about where it's gone from there. And, and, uh, cause you, you become, gotta be one of the biggest Harley Davidson dealerships, uh, group of dealerships anywhere. Right. Yeah, and, and pretty much the world. Um, so then we bought. Well, I mean, wait, wait, say that proud, man. In pretty, in pretty much the world. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> casual. <laughs> uh, we 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 bought our second, you know, our, our our second dealership in January of 2006, and oddly enough and strangely enough, um. I wound up going back to JSOC for about another 18 months in February of 2007. You did it again to her. Come on, man. I, I, I did it again. And, and, and um, yeah, so I mean, I mean, I started to, to you know, it, it was a joke. It's like every time we buy something, I leave. And, and um, uh, so, so uh, yeah, so that, you know, the, which, you know, when you think about the time period, you know, now, now it's, it's six years later. And, and, and she's learned a great deal, but the climate is getting ugly at the time. Right now it's 2007 and we're moving into some ugliness in terms of the environment. Yeah. Um, but, but that, but, but those two stores actually fared extremely well during the recession under her tutelage and guidance. Um, and, and, you know, my, my, my living high in the hog in Afghanistan and Iraq someplace. So, so it, it, it you know, it was good to be out of the way. And, and, you know, actually we, we would talk from time to time, you know, via, via telephone. Um, and, and we could, we could use internet a fair amount by then. So it was a little, you know, the communications were a little bit better from time to time. Um, but again, you know, I, I'd left her for a fairly long period of time, um, uh, with, with, with very little support. But, you know, again, it's like geez, we were surrounded by people who were great for us, and we had built a, a terrific business base. And by then, you know, Harley-Davidson was very supportive, and so it was a, you know, there was a, there was a, there was a great environment. She had learned a lot from, from the first few years um, and navigated, you know, the recession extremely well. I mean, we, we, the two stores that we had during the recession – um, you know, people always ask me about that. Did they? They did famously. Um, they did famously. So uh, that was uh, that was. You know, we're in the 2009. By the time I got back, wait, wait, wait. Why, why, why'd, you go, why'd you go back 2007? What, what was what, what inspired you? Did you have did you have to go back? You're you're called or what? It, it, you know, it's, it's uh, was all. I mean, at that point, it was relatively voluntary. You know, the first time it wasn't. Um, and, and, you know, and again, but when, when, when you get the opportunity to go back to an institution like JSOC, it just, you know, it, it was not something that, that neither my wife nor I could really say no to. I mean, and, and I have to tell you, my wife was probably as supportive. I don't want to say she was pushing me out the door, but 
but she was definitely as supportive of, as a, of a person you could possibly find who awesome. was as patriotic about what was going on as I was. And <clears throat> so that was a unique experience to have. Um, can you can you, you know, can you describe can you describe JSTOC uh, briefly? Um, it's the Joint Special Operations Command. So so uh, SOCOM is the Special Operations Command. It's a four-star command. JSOC is now a three-star command. JSOC is essentially you know the 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 presidential force. So the president's main force for fighting terrorism around the world. It's the Central ter Terrorism Organization. So JSAC really was designed for originally, um, you know, for hostage rescue, uh, hijacking, things like that. Counterterrorism is really what it was designed for. And as we got into a full-scale counterterrorism war, it became very central in that prosecution. Um, sure. So relatively small in size, but big impact in terms of, the global war on terrorism, um, really at the center of it, uh, just because of the assets and, and the capability and, and sort of a lot of direct presidential um, support and authority. That, that uh, you in. have the com com combination of Navy and Marines and everybody that are part of that? Yeah. Or what? So it's joint, and, and one of the things that J JSAC is all military services, um, and it really, what, what, what General McChrystal did, which is really what was the difference in, in our success, right? So McChrystal really coined the phrase, developing a network to defeat a network, right? There, there was a network of terrorism that was out there. It's not, it's not the same as fighting a war, you know, Vietnam, World War II. Those were different wars that we fought. These were insurgencies. These were counterterrorism events. And so you, you can't defeat that in the normal sense. And so what McChrystal did is, you know, he really developed a network and, and, and an interagency relationship. But, but he also, it was not only just the Department of Defense elements, he incorporated relationships with all of the other agencies of the government, right? The FBI, the CIA, um, at the NSA, all those agencies of the government worked hand in glove together to defeat terrorism. And, and that was really one of McChrystal's architects was to create it, to, to develop a network to defeat a network. And that's why JSAC was just so, so uh, forceful is because it, it, it really developed that sort of network and, and was the central counterterrorism uh, element of the nation. Um, wow. You know, frankly, before, before 9-11, uh, it, it was basically little known. I mean, it was a little known, very secretive private organization that very few people knew about. Um, you know, and there are elements that are, you know, largely confidential and classified. Um, but it became a little bit more known and recognized because of, you know, it, it sort of became far more, the, the awareness became much higher after the war on terror started because it was, you know, so central in, in the prosecution of those, those battles, those wars. I mean. Sure. So. Wow. That's awesome. So you're so back there for, for yeah, what, so 2009 or what? Yeah, 2009 I get back and, and, you know, the market at that point had really shifted and changed. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it really had, and, and, you know, so there were wow. some winners and losers. 
Um, and, and uh, you know, we, we, we saw the opportunity. Harley-Davidson was actually in the process of doing some consolidations on a national basis. I think at the time there were something like 725 dealerships nationwide. And over the course of the next two years from 09 to about 11, that went down to about 610. So a lot of dealerships sort of either voluntarily went out of business or were consolidated in some fashion. And that's when we, you know, that's when I actively got back involved and, and got aggressive. You know, there were, there were, uh, we bought two dealerships, Oaklawn and Illinois and, and combined them into one. And that was our third location. Uh, we bought the St. Charles dealership out West. That was our fourth location. And we completed that in 2011. Um, and so and by in 2011, then we had four locations. We had four dealerships. Um, and then I was off again uh, uh, to, to you know, spend, spend the next, I don't know, I think it was about to about two, 2014 um, between uh, um, doing work at, 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 at JSOC and working at the Pentagon. And, you know, so finally – I kind of came back and, 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 and really integrated back into the civilian society. And we wound up um, getting, you know, even more aggressive. We bought the Ottawa location in 2015, the Milwaukee location in 2016, the DeKalb location in 2016. And then we bought the Woodstock. Um, and, and at the end of 2016, early January 2017, we closed. Um, and then we did the Fox merger in 2019. So, you know, as, as I returned uh, in, a, in, a, in a four year period of time, we, we quadrupled in size um, because we, I just saw the opportunities. I mean, the markets had shifted and changed. The, 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 the entire business, I think, is, is, is following many, many businesses. It's in the process of consolidating and it needs to. You know, cost structures um, are, are, are growing significantly, particularly in, in urban areas like Chicago and Milwaukee. And the, the ability to deliver a customer experience is much higher if you can, you know, if you have the right cost structure in place and you're able to deliver a high level of customer experience. And that's been something that we've seen is our, our you know, our ability to, to take care of our customer by virtue of our growth is a big deal. And the other reason sure. why I was just so interested in growing is, you know, it gave so much more opportunity to our people. And, you know, it, it, it's, we, we have people who have been with us for 15 years and started out as salesmen who are now running two stores. And, right. you know, those are great stories, right? You know, an individual. Awesome. Yeah. It's, and, and it gives people. Well, so I, I live near your Woodstock store, as you probably know, but, uh, and uh, I, I stop in there every once in a while and I, and, uh, you know, I, I've, I love Harleys, and I'm always going to buy one, and I haven't. And I, I go on Harley trips usually once a year with a group of people. My wife and I go all over the world on Harley trips, and it's been a blast. Anyway, but I'm going to buy one, doggone it. But, I, but you got amazing people in there. They, they should be saying, get the hell out of here, you pain in the ass. You're, you're back again, kicking the tires again? Are you crazy? Wait a minute. I think you can afford one of these things. Just, get, just buy one, right? But instead, they're amazing people. 
Uh, I, you know, Doug in there in Woodstock is, I think, your manager, right? Is that Doug? Yeah, he's, yeah, Doug's, Doug's been, you know, he's been in the business for 40 years, 38 years, something like that. I mean, you know, started as a, you know, worked at Honda for a period of time, a long time ago, back in the 80s. And then uh-huh. started as a, a service manager in, in a, you know, in, in the Woodstock Harley Davidson when it was in in the small shop down the up, you know, down the street. Um, yeah. it was a very small shop. I think there were probably eight or ten people that worked there. Um, well, I gotta tell just, you that, you know, that guy, that guy really lives and breathes that store. Like it's like yeah. it's his, and I know you treat it like it's his. Any any any, and, and you know, when you go in there. You know that uh, boy. They they're there to serve you, and they're amazing. So, uh, and I know that's how all your stores are. When I talk to anybody about your stores, and I, I mean, how, how do you do that? I mean, I guess you know, how do you how do you get the owners? You know, because it's not just him. Other people I've dealt with the same way. You'd feel like they own the place when they talk about how passionate they are about it and how they want to, you know, how they serve you. You think they all have a stake in it? Yeah, I mean, you know. Uh... I think Woodstock is a great example. St. Charles, another great example. I mean, these people love the business that they're in. They really enjoy the customers. They, 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 they want to make the experience a great one. And you can go down the list there. There's, you know, Charlie Madsen, who's, yeah, uh, I know Charlie. You know, Charlie's, you know, he's a big guy. Charlie's he's, he's brother. Sales Charlie's manager. brother. Charlie's brother is a, uh, one of my guys who worked for us for a long time and uh, just, just right? left to be a teacher. But he, Charlie's brother is, a, is the same way. Yeah, I, I mean, just a, a, you know, a passionate guy that just loves what he does. And, you know, I love talking to Charlie. And, and you know, these, these are Chris McInnes. I mean, these are guys that just – Jeff Ellis. I mean, I can go on. There's yeah. – the, 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 the list of people who are so passionate out there is, is phenomenal. And I think – you know, it's caring about your people. And I think Doug really cares about his people out there and takes care of them. And I yeah. think that that's a good thing. And, you know, we, we, we try to support them as much as we can. We let them, we try to let them do their own thing as much as we can. And I think that's a big thing across the network. And, you know, but, but we have a lot of stores that, you know, that want to exhibit their own personality and we, and we got to let them do that. And, and, uh-huh. and they, they appreciate that and they love it. So uh, sure. I'm, I'm glad, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad you have a good experience out there because it's a great story. No, it's so much fun. To, and, and you got a great product to represent. I mean, Harley Davidson's an amazing product and uh, much like the, you know, the Caterpillar name or, you know, there's so many, oh, there's, yeah. there's only a few names out there that are so strong that when you, when you, when you ride up on one or you jump on a machine that has that, that, that tag on it, that brand, you're proud and people around say, okay, that, that guy's got the right bike or that guy's got the right, you know, uh, dozer or whatever. Right. And, and, and uh, not everybody's got the, the ability to, to market and sell a brand like Harley. That's so really cool. Yeah. We're, I mean, it's a, I think it's a great brand. Um, it, 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 you know, it's the essence of Americana. Um, Harley has been in every war uh, since world war one. Um, oh, I didn't that. oh yeah yeah harleys are are in every war so i mean you know it, it is a it is a it's a it's an it's an honorable company with a great name and and it's going to continue to live up to that so it's you know it's been it's been a great ride and and you know i've been very passionate about harley davidson's but you know harley's just not about the it's it's not about the motorcycle 
I mean, the motorcycle is there, but it's about the essence of Americana and the essence of freedom, right? And, and, it, and it's not the political freedom, but it's the freedom of choice, the freedom to choose to be a part of the Harley Davidson experience. And I think that that's what Harley enthusiasts um, um, really embrace. You know, there, there's a saying and it says, you know, if I have to explain why, you wouldn't understand. And it really developed like in the 70s and 80s when, you know, Harleys were breaking down on the side of the road and they weren't maybe the best machines <laughs> out there. And, you know, you could ride a Honda with no problem. And people still rode Harley Davidsons and they still embraced Harley Davidson because it was about the experience and, yeah. and being a part of something. And I think that that's a, that's a big piece of what it is to be Harley Davidson. Yeah, nowadays, though, they're, they're, they're very reliable. They're awesome machines. Oh, yeah. now, I mean, I just, you just hear nothing but uh, you know, rave, raving uh, reviews. Anybody owns a Harley. Yeah. Product quality is great today. So uh, does your wife ride, too, or no? Yeah, you know, she used to. Um, she, she's, uh, I'll tell you, uh, when my wife took the course um, and started riding, and after she took the course, Gary's gone. I don't know if we, we lost him or. I'm back now. There he is. Yeah. yeah. So you get a kick out of this. I, when, she first, when she first passed her class and, and she got her bike, um, the first couple of days that we went out, I actually, you know, I made her put on all the gear, the helmet, the leather jacket, and the gloves. And, you know, she was hating me. And then I would, I would, I would kind of walk next to her and then I would run next to her because I didn't want. I would actually have to run next to her because I, I didn't want her to fall. Like yeah. I could stop her from falling if she came yeah. over. <laughs> but yeah, she, she, she used to ride, um, you know, since, since we've, since we had the kids, she, she's not, uh, she, she's a little less interested. I'd say um, if she were sitting here, I, I, I don't know if I could say that, but, but I think she's been a little bit more, conservative since since having the yeah. twins so okay wait okay so we got to tell that you okay with telling that story i mean it's an amazing story uh, uh you know you two were married for how long and before, uh, you, before you had kids decided to have kids or or the kids decided uh, to have you yeah they decided to have us you know um 17 years uh <laughs> we, we were married for 17 years. you know it's 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 funny too because you know i was i was here and gone and here and gone and so we would talk about it and about 10 years ago i think um, my wife had a miscarriage and you know that was a tough situation for both of us and you know it was kind of sad and i think we we sort of you know let it go for a while and and then um you know i i, I had throat cancer um and um that was sort of a watershed event and 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 basically she said okay buddy you know life's short you're gonna we're gonna we're gonna try this one more time and and we were very we were very fortunate yeah i mean it was the craziest thing so it kind of and i think we both went into it saying you know if it happens it happens let's not get emotional about it let's not get too you know worked up let's not get hopeful and and we were just very fortunate so um we we have a a hispanic friend who said and i thought this was kind of kind of cool um, your children choose you. You don't choose your children. So in other wow. words, they chose, yeah, I thought this was great. They sort of chose to wait to pick us. Uh, yeah. And they, I, they, I that that, they just were waiting for you to be a little more mature, Ozzy. 
<laughs> yeah, they wanted you know they wanted a father that would be home, you know, for for a period of time. So so um, yeah, that was a I mean you know a, you know obviously a, a phenomenal like two and a half they're, years old. They're, yeah, they're two and a half. Yeah, they're 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 two and a half. They're they're um, they're little people now. I mean they're they're little people. It's it's amazing. It really is amazing to see the development of uh, you know from little teeny things to people so boy, um, boy and a girl it's a boy yeah they're a boy and a girl yeah boy and, a girl. and they're great together they're, they're really they're really special together it's you know it's amazing to watch twins um in, in real life you know my daughter is actually very much a little mother hen for my son and you know he, he he's he's a little protector i mean it's 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 really crazy to watch this develop um at a, at a young age so um, uh, pretty lucky. Uh, yeah. we're, we're very blessed. Very blessed. I, I want to meet him someday, man. I'm, I'm, I have a four-year-old grandson and a one-year-old granddaughter right now, and they're so much fun. It's such a blast, you know. And, You're killing uh, me. That's okay, man. I would, I would uh, be a parent in a heartbeat if that if we didn't have kids early. We had our kids very young, right? If I didn't, I, I would be a grand. I would be a parent in a heartbeat right now. If, it, if I didn't have any kids, I would do it in a heartbeat. I think, I think it keeps you young too. You, you know. You guys are already young for your age. It'll keep you young, you know. Yeah, I don't know about that. It, boy, they I tell you, at, at eight o'clock at night when they want to jump into your arms like ten times over and over again, you know, one, <laughs> one more, one more. Uh, I mean, they're exhausting, man. Yeah, yeah I, I have uh, six nephews and one. Uh, it was actually a big motivating factor for me moving back to the Midwest. So I love it. That's amazing. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah, Robbie. Robbie, what questions you got for the our buddy, this uh, this uh, military uh, this military buddy, entrepreneur, great father, husband, right? What do you got? What do you got? You got to learn a lot from this guy, man. You're a kid. Yeah, I know. Uh, one that actually came to mind was uh, a curiosity around you. You mentioned that you noticed something within the market that prompted you guys to quadruple in size. I guess I'm curious what it was that you specifically noticed within the market uh, that led you or steered you in that direction? Yeah. You know, so um, the, as, as uh, you know, the world around us was in, in a, in a major consolidation mode. I mean, you know, mo 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 most relevant to our business was the automobile business. And if you, you kind of took a look at from 07 to 15, um, the, the, the automobile dealerships, really dramatically shrunk in, in numbers. And that was primarily driven by the manufacturers who, you know, there were just too many dealers out there and a lot of them were mom and pop dealers. And, and, you know, it's great to be mom and pop. And I, I, this is not a knock on mom and pop because they can do a lot of great things. The unfortunate thing about being a mom and pop is the cost structure of real estate and, and employees and all that make it very difficult to operate one location and 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 we saw that in the in the automobile industry and and it, that was kind of the genesis of what was happening in the harley world and that's what i saw the need for small locations to you know that were mom and pop so to speak and 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 they just needed the ability to have a stronger more financially secure organization to support it you know, Starve Rock was a perfect example. We, we bought Starve Rock Harley-Davidson in 
2015 um, from a couple that had owned it for about 25 years. And they were a great couple um, in their mid-60s when they sold it to us. But for about three or four years, they had really been struggling to, to survive, you know, to the point where they were leveraging their real estate, kind of pouring money back into the business. And the reason was because, you know, the cost structure had changed so much by that time that in order for them to stay even remotely competitive, they had to spend so much more money doing it than if, you know, than if we were doing it or somebody else was. I mean, you know, we have centralized accounting services. We buy things cheaper. You know, so we can drive down the cost structure of those organizations and actually produce the same product for the same cost of the customer, but have enough margin to make the business worthwhile. And so that was happening in a lot of different places in the marketplace. And so we saw that early and went after it. Um, and that's, you know, it, 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 I think it was inevitable and it continues to be inevitable. And now, you know, three years ago at, at, at you know, our 15 or 16 dealerships, we were, you know, almost alone. And now, you know, there's, you know, there's, there's groups of 10, there's groups of 12, there's, you know, it's, it's, it's growing all over. And, you know, and, and we're certainly looking to be bigger as well, too. So it's, it's I, I think that, that we saw it and we took advantage of it and we were in a position to do that. And, and it really is a necessity because, the, you know, the customer wants a higher level of, of service and experience and you got to have a cost structure that can deliver that. And, you know, because otherwise you just can't do it. Right. So, so, so basically, so, so basically, if you think about it, technology and, and such is giving you the ability to have a centralized, uh, centralized cost center, let's say, for, for a lot of your overhead, that, that when you spread it out over 15 dealerships, of course, it can be much leaner than one, right? I mean, is that basically it? Yeah, it's, I mean, it, you know, you, you can operate, we can operate a dealership at a cost structure that's about 20% less than a one-off person could operate it. You know, between our ability to leverage our, our centralized, you know, accounting, marketing, uh, administrative staff, and then, you know, buying, buying a lot of equipment and, and product cheaper, you know, we can drive that cost structure down so that you can actually make a, a, a reasonable profit so that you can reinvest in your business for the customer. And that's what... I'll ahead, start, and even, even an example I could see right now, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but it, it feels to me like even this with this COVID thing, right? To apply to, for this for this uh, PPP thing, right? To apply for that and do all the work it took for us as a company, our, our group of companies, there's a lot of work for our, our CFO, our COO, and our accounting firm and the bank to do, right? And one little one little paving company out there that does what we do, it's tough for them to get that done and on time and, and get the paperwork right compared to you know, us or are you able to scale with, with you know, the best of the best in the on your finance team, the best of the best, hopefully outside accountants, best of the best banking relationship, right? And you can leverage all those things, uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, right? You're able to just get more done at a lower cost and, and, and make sure you don't, you don't fumble things like this, right? Well, and, and that's, you know, that's the other thing too. I mean, you mentioned, I didn't even mention that, but you talk about banking relationships, you know, you think about, our ability to borrow money compared to the one-off person's ability to borrow money. You know, in many cases, there's 200 basis points between us. Sometimes yeah. 200, 250. I mean, 
it's a huge piece of a business. You know, when you have a lot of inventory like we do, like any Harley dealer does, I mean, 250 basis points is a lot of money when you think about it, and it makes a big difference. Yes, big chunk of your profit. Okay, yeah, so, 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 oh, sorry, go ahead, Robbie. Yeah, I guess I'm curious to continue down this path a little bit. So when you're thinking towards the future then, are you guys recognized as any uh, a shift in the buying beer? Uh, I guess I'll use like Plus as an example. They have a fully digital buying experience now. Uh, is Are you recognizing any, any of that in the motorcycle space or? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that, that there's two things that we, that, you know, first of all, I think COVID-19 pushed forward a lot of what we were thinking about for the next five years. And what I mean by that is, you know, we, we, we have been thinking about for a long time now mobile service facilities, right? A, you know, whether it's a van or a, a, a sprinter that actually goes out to people's offices or businesses and does, you know, changes tires, does oil changes, maybe d d put on some, some minor accessories, deliveries of motorcycles on a sales basis. That, 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 all those things that we've been thinking about, those I think are pushed it, we're probably getting off into that and that's technology and that's equipment and things that you got to have. The, the other piece of that is, you know, you, people are buying nationally and, and we're going to be able to distribute nationally and you got to have inventory and capabilities for that. And then, and then how people buy motorcycles, right? Whether it's fractional ownership, um, you know, your generation doesn't really want to own anything specific right now. And, 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 Ah, you know, I mean, but it's not. I mean, but that's okay because that's a little bit of a shift uh, in 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 the mentality, and we've got to we've got to be able to address that. So we're we're seeing those kinds of things and actually addressing some of that in what we're doing. Um, so so absolutely, I, I you know, uh, buying online and and you know, people always said in, in our business, well, you know, you got to have that experience at the Harley Davidson dealership. I think that there's still a lot of truth to that, but I think that if we're not, we're, we're thinking about how do we deliver that experience at someone's home if they really want to have it. And, and, and also, how do we become a service organization that meets the requirements of today's public? For example, COVID-19, you know, now we have customers that call up and say, I want to change my own oil. And I need everything to do that. And now we say, okay, we're going to put all that stuff in a box for you. You're going to give us your credit card. You pull up to the side and we're just going to hand you the box and you go off. And if you need help, you just give us a call. And, and we, yeah. yeah. And, and you know, it's like that, that, that was not something that we had developed before. And, you know, it's funny because my wife years ago used to talk about a drive-up service for our parts and accessories. And I used to think she was nuts. She was nuts. And which is, which is what we're moving to because, you know, and, and one, of, one of the guys in our store said, well, that means they're not going to come in the store and shop around. I said, yeah, this time they're not going to come in the store and shop around. But you've delivered exactly what that customer wanted. They wanted yes. ease, convenience. You know, they, they got instructions in the packet. They got a name to call if they if they needed information. I mean, what what a what a beautiful situation for a customer who doesn't really want to be bothered, wants to change their own oil at least this time, and they want to make it, and we want to make it easy and, and, and clean for them. And that's the kind of stuff that I think that we've seen develop in a short period of time. 
that we, we've been thinking about for a while, but I think COVID-19 has, has, has almost forced us to do those things a lot sooner than we probably would have done before. And that's where so business is moving anyways, Robbie. So your store is yeah. not even not open at all right now? Oh, no, they're open. They're, oh, they're open. Right? Yeah, they're open, but, but, you know, people have, you know, some people want to come in and walk around, and some people just, you know, like going to the grocery store and getting your food, right? I mean, now you can yeah. go to the grocery store, have somebody stick it in the back, and, you know, everyone's sort of reinventing themselves. What are you doing for, like, a virtual, virtual tour of your store so somebody can come in your store online instead of uh, walk through the store in, this, in these conditions? Yeah, that was, that was Jill's idea. So being able to give somebody a virtual tour of a motorcycle, right? If you, 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 you send us an email or, or you go online and, and, and you chat with us, we can, we'll send you a virtual tour of a, of a bike. So, you know, give you photos, give you a video, take you around 360, um, and then ship it to you if you want to get it shipped to you, whether you're local or in California. I mean, it's, awesome. it's, it's becoming an entirely different experience. But, again, I think it's where, where we were moving to anyways. Right. And That's I, awesome. I, I, don't, I think it, COVID-19 might have accelerated a bit, but I, don't, I, don't, I think it's the inevitable. I really do. Well, if we, if we don't change our businesses when you know, we see things like this happen, if we don't, if we don't adjust for it, if we say, oh, this is just, uh, just a thing, it's going to go away, and everything will be fine, right? If we don't learn lessons from these experiences, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna struggle to stay alive in business. I mean, this this isn't gonna go. In my opinion, it's gonna it's gonna mellow out, but it'll come back. If this doesn't come back, something like it will come back, right? And the businesses that can be be strong through these times will survive, and others won't, right? So I mean, we got to take these as lessons and say, what can we do to get stronger and better because of it, so that when it happens again we're in a position to, to do well through it, right? And, and businesses that think that way, in my opinion, are, and, and again, some of the lessons, as you just said, that you're, that you're learning will be, will be used anyway, even if this doesn't happen again, right? Even if it doesn't come back or we don't, we don't shut down in America for some other reason. So uh, I love it. I love how you guys think outside the box and continue to, to you know, work your way around at any, any challenges. And I, I, you know, I got I to I believe, you know, some of that starts with, with, with your your ability to, to, to you know, to uh, think fast in the military and in, in business, you're able to do it just the same. And, and you probably got your team members, and you, you know, thinking very much like that. It's pretty cool. Your wife and your team members, your leaders. So, well, I, awesome. I think it's. I, I think. I think what happens, and and you know, this is something that I think you you get you get real comfortable with in the military, right? So, you know, no no plan survives first contact with the enemy. And, and if you're fluid, you're, you're just not, you're not fluid enough because, you know, and Mike Tyson, what, what did Mike Tyson used to say? It, it, you got to plan until you get hit in the face. So, so it's, it's, it's all that sort of thinking where, you know, you have to remain entirely flexible and, and you've got to continually look at the situation and make changes because it's a constantly changing environment. I mean, COVID-19 is a great example of how fluid things were. You know, we, we, we were in the middle of planning for how we were gonna manage our business, and Prisker comes out and he says, we're gonna be closed until the end of the month. You know, I mean, so it's a constantly changing environment. And then we see our business really actually start taking off in a COVID-19 environment, and so we say, okay, gee, if we don't add more people, we're gonna lose all sorts of business and piss people off. So we gotta continuously be flexible with how we're managing stuff and do things differently. 
and, and I think that that's, you know, crisis management is all about being thinking fast and acting fast and making corrections along the way because you can't stay with a plan that you started out with when the environment is constantly changing. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. I love it. Robbie, what else you got for everybody here? Yeah, the one area actually earlier in the conversation that we breezed over quickly is backstory on what led you to the motorcycle space and the industry and why you wanted to start this business in the first place. Yeah, that's an interesting. Um, well, I mean, I've been, I've been an enthusiast for, for a long time. So I love, I love Harley Davidson and riding motorcycles. And, and you know, in um, kind of like the, the mid-90s, maybe, maybe a little bit early, early 90s, Harleys became rather popular as everyone knows. And, and, you know, the dealers sort of took on, you know, over, over a period of time, dealers became kind of insensitive to their customer base. They, they, they you know, there were, there were three or four or five customers for every vehicle. And, and, and there was just this sense of lack of experience, right? You know, you, you went in and it would be like, you know, put your name on that book and we'll let you know when we have a bike kind of thing. There, there was no focus on the customer experience. And, you know, this is, you know, maybe back in 99, Jill and I were, I, I was buying a new bike, kind of that sort of bad experience. And, and she said, you know, we ought to buy a Harley Davidson dealership because we'll just treat people well and it'll take off like wildfire. And that's literally what happened. I mean, it was, it was all about, getting into this business because I mean, dealers were treating people not very well because the business was so robust that they really didn't have to do a good job taking care of their people or providing customer service or an experience. And that, that generated our interest in just doing a great job for the customer. And, and that's how we got in the business. That, that was really how we got it. We, you know, we loved motorcycling, but we hated how Harley dealers got to be the way that they were. Um, yeah. and, and we always knew that that wasn't going to last. I mean, you, you knew that there was going to be a time horizon where, you know, the worm was going to turn and, you know, suddenly we woke up one day and there were more bikes than there were buyers and it was a different environment. And of course, customer service became that much more important in that environment. So um, that's how we got in the business, and that's how we've stayed in business. Was really, so you saw the really potential. You saw you saw the potential. You saw the complacency in the marketplace, right? You're smart enough to understand. I mean, I, I always say complacency kills all good things. I don't care if it's friendships. I don't care if it's politics or business, right? And and uh, and you saw the opportunity, and you went with. That's awesome. Um, you know, when you when you look at when you look at American business and entrepreneurship, I mean, you know, I, I always like to talk about, you know, I couldn't have done what I've done as a hillbilly, non-educated hillbilly, in, in, in what I've done, right? Anywhere else in the world, but America, in my opinion, it's the only place I could have done what I've done, right? And, and been had some success that I've had. Uh, what, what are your thoughts about that, Ozzy? I mean, you've you've been you've been there to protect our freedoms, my freedoms, right? And, and uh, most, uh, most of us don't understand, I'm, I'm saying most, I shouldn't say most of us, some of us don't understand the importance of what you've done in the military to protect these freedoms. And then 
and then not, and, and you've also taken taken advantage of these freedoms back home and, and built something substantial. Really cool. What do you what do you, when you when you think about that or talk? If you talk to a young kid today that doesn't understand those things and thinks that the whole world is like this, what do you what do you what do you tell them? Yeah, I mean, I, I have to tell you know that's a great question, Gary, because I I don't I you know it's like I almost I think I'll develop tears if I if I think too long about it, but. Um, <laughs> I have been all over, the, you know, I've really been all over the world and, and, and lived in, in many, many places. And, and, and there, there, is, there is no place like the United States. There is simply no place like the United States. And there is no place that offers the same opportunities to guys like us. I mean, you know, we didn't grow up rich. We're not second gen, second, third, fourth generation business guys. Like a lot of guys in YPO, and that's phenomenal. But, but, mm -hmm. but we were able to take advantage of the American dream, and you only get that in the United States. You just you don't appreciate that until you visit someplace else and you realize that you just can't do this anyplace else in the world. And, and, and that is, I mean, that's why I'm so patriotic about what we're doing in the United States, because th th this country is so unique it's so unique in that regard that you can I, I mean you can't even describe it um mm -hmm. the differences between the united states and any place else in the world and you can criticize some of the things that go on and, and we all and, and you, but you know what we have the damn luxury of doing that you know yeah, in a right. lot of places you can't do that you can't even, you don't even have the opportunity to criticize and 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 we provide that all the time, and and so, you know, I think I I truly thank God that I was born in the United States and I live here, um, because I shudder to think, you know, what my life would be like if I if I were born anyplace else, because this this country delivers to people what what no other country can deliver to people, and that's opportunity and the freedom to to choose to do what you want to do. It's there for you, so. I, I love it, and you know, again, you, you've been you've been part of protecting this this whole free enterprise system, and and you know, so many have, have died and and and, and been uh, you know been maimed, and you know, in, in, in war to fight for our freedom and, and our, this this beautiful free country we have. Um, and, and we we really I really appreciate you, buddy, and and uh, those like you. Uh, and I know that I know that nowadays I think you're appreciated. Not, but you're not always. I mean, I, you know, I, I look at times in my in my life where you know friends of mine, people that I know, didn't really care for military. Just kind of, kind of like you hear, they don't care for police sometimes, right? Um, but I think there's appreciation for what you've done. That, that's that's uh, that's amazing for most people. So you know, again, thanks for everything you've done for us. But um, and then and then as far as this uh, this free enterprise dream of yours and that that you're executing, Jill are executing on. How long are you gonna? How long are you gonna grow this thing? What are you, what are you gonna grow it to? What's any aspirations of where you want to go or no? You know, I, I think you know, it, it is, as opportunity presents itself, we're we're gonna chase it. Um, you know, I I I, I can't envision myself being retired. So I, I, you know, for as long as and and I got two kids that are two and a half years old. So I mean, you know, I gotta put them through school for God's sakes. That's right. Um, That's right. No, I, 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 you know, I, I, I can't, I can't see past ten years, but I, I, you know, I think that there's a lot to do in the next ten years, and and I think that there's there will be tremendous opportunity for us to build, continue to build our business 
over the next 10 year period of time. And I, I, I'm, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm going to continue to be a part of that and for a long time to come. And, you know, at some point there will be an exit, but, but I'm excited about the next 10 years. I really am. Well, and, you, and you, when you look around at your friends, as I do, you know, that, that are that are much older than us, right? That are I, I've got friends that are in their 80s and actually early 90s that every day are still doing deals like they were when they are our age and yet much younger, right? And those 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 people that I'm talking about that I think about are, are have energy like a like a 30, 40 year old person still today at 85, 90 years old. I want to be like that. I mean, that's, that's what I, I mean. I, I don't want to look at uh, in my life and say, man, I, just, I need to retire and I need to kick back and take it easy. That's not so much fun to me. I mean, I don't know. I, I think that, uh, you know, we, we, can, we can have a great life by working hard even in our 90s if we want to. And if that's not, that's not who you are, that's okay, of course. But, but man, it's, it's so much fun to make a difference in it. And if we can, if we can, you know, if we can build jobs and, and create opportunity for others, nothing better than that, right? I, I agree with you. It's, you know, the guy that we bought the Woodstock store from was almost 80 years old. And if you'd have met this guy, I mean, he I was still him. busting. Arnie? Well, yeah, I know, Arnie. He's awesome. He, I, he, the guy's 80 years old. <laughs> I, I mean, he's got, he's, he's full of energy. I mean, I love the guy. We, we, you know, we became very good friends over the course of time and negotiating the deal. You know, I mean, and and that you know that's the guy that I look at and I go that's me at 80 years old I want to be working because at you know at some point this becomes what what you do and who you are it's yes. not like work I, this is not work for me this is sort of who I am and what I do and so because I, I don't think I've really worked ever in a long time, 20 years, 25 years. I, I don't, you know, I'm just like, I, I think about this and I think about when, when I think of work, it's yeah. different than what I do. And, and, and this is, love yeah, I mean, I really love this. And, and, and there's, it's part there's, of a that, there's a guy, if you follow him ever, uh, I get to know and, and, and joined his, his association, you know, years, about 10 years ago, Bernie Marcus, the founder of Home Depot. And he's now 90 or 91, something like that, now 92 maybe. It's amazing. You'll see him. He's on TV still, right, uh, uh, comment, commenting on different things in the, in the political environment and business and all that. But he started thinking called Job Creators Network. I was, I was one of the first CEOs as a member and, and on the board of that, right? I still am. And Bernie is just awesome. I mean, I'm telling you, he still thinks 20, 30 years ahead in any conversations <laughs> he's, he's talking about, right? I mean, that's what I want to be. I want to be, and, and, he, and he's so philanthropic. He, you know, he doesn't care if he makes another buck. He wants to get, make sure he gives away his money to the right causes that are sustainable for America and, and, and the things he, believe, you know, things he believes in philanthropically. But again, when you see the energy in this guy, it's so much fun to, to golf with him, to, to be around him. And I mean, I look at it and I say, that's, if I can live that long, that's how I want to be, right? It's, uh, it's fun. So yeah, I I, pre I really appreciate uh, you know stuff the stuff you're doing and yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, be checking on that Harley store here pretty quick. I want to see the virtual stuff. I'm look, I'm gonna be looking at some bikes some bikes later this afternoon now and uh, and all that. So I, I you know keep up the good work, man. And any anybody from that from this area, you gotta buy you gotta buy a Harley from Ozzy and, and experience what Jill and Ozzy and the team have built. It's, it's a, just an awesome experience. So. Uh, well, any, any Robbie, you want to go over any uh, any any nuggets that you've learned here, or you, you, you better you, can, you better believe it. Oh yeah, I got them written down. 
Let's hear it, buddy. Yeah, so Ozzy, we like to summarize uh, key points or takeaways from the conversation today, uh, encompassing early years all the way through college, military, to your professional life. Uh, so the first one that I came up with was uh, keeping it ultra simple. So just uh, through parenting or your earliest, you were taught hard work and to focus on education and continuous learning. And uh, the way I apply that is similar to the growth mindset is what a, a hot button or uh, topic commonly discussed today. And uh, it's not something that to teach. So if, if you can learn that at a young age, it's incredibly advantageous for the long run. Uh, second is lead from the front. Uh, and that was part of your military days. And the idea behind that is obviously just build uh, for either your employees or those in the military alongside you, uh, but allowing them to, to ultimately themselves get the job done. Uh, the third here is put your team first. Uh, and at the end of the day, people are your biggest asset. And as long as ultimately they feel like they have a, a sense of security and loyalty from you and the rest of the leadership team, uh, they're going to turn around the best work for you. And develop a network to defeat a network. Uh, and I think that that's important to me in, in the sense of how that actually functioned within the government. So you're pulling together so many different entities uh, within the government to ultimately fulfill a, a vision. And I think that same uh, application actually coincides with business as well, that you need every department to be working together in unison in order for the business to achieve success. Uh, so I, I saw a lot of strong overlap there. Uh, fifth is to empower your employees uh, to work with autonomy. And the way that we were taught this specifically through my past experience at LinkedIn is one of our cultural tenants was act like an owner. Uh, and it was the idea that truly you needed to live and breathe the culture and values all the way to the point where you felt like you were an owner of the business. And if so, you would make decisions that were rooted in the business's long-term success. Uh, last one, kind of going off of where we were just finishing the conversation is focusing on listening to the market by continuously iterating and improving and remaining flexible uh, any of the new market trends that are coming up, whether that's the virus or uh, the, the changing in the digital demographic of, or finding the buying experience to be today. But you need to make sure you listen to your end consumers. Awesome, awesome, Robbie. Way to go! Those are those are great. <laughs> no, by the way, you're the one. By, by the way, by the way, I, I will tell you this because this is really you know I want to I want to really give you a, um, kind of kudos on this. I mean, you, you're developing a network to defeat a network and an analogy to departments in an organization. That's really brilliant because I see this in a lot of large organizations and Harley Davidson actually has been a little bit like this. These departments develop in silos and they don't, and they don't communicate and, and you don't get the best of the entire organization and that's a big issue. So, so getting people to work together on a cross departmental basis is the same thing as a, building a network to defeat a network. That, that, that was really brilliant actually, I have to tell you. So that's a great observation. It really is. And, and, and Ozzy, I, I, when you said that earlier, I picked up on, on my side of it, different than Robbie, but similar. But Robbie, Robbie and I have to deal with uh, 10 different businesses that we have. I have different partners, different leaders, and all that. 
Robbie sells Robbie sells across all all platforms, all businesses, and it's tough sometimes to get them to work together. But but exactly what you said is perfect for that analogy as well. All these businesses work for the same customer, same type of customers, right? And very often we don't we don't cross sell, we don't cross collateralize our strengths, and, and we're trying to do it better and better all the time. So Robbie, I want you to use that as you talk to our team on the subject. Now I don't want to use it because you know let's just be another thing for me. I want you to really think about that. Focus on departments as well as business leadership and, 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 and businesses. So that's awesome. I love it. Yeah, I mean, and particularly in your business, I mean, with, with, with managing those multiple businesses, Gary, this is key. I mean, this, this really, and, and, and I live this, you know, in 2001, you know, you had like, for example, military intelligence agencies that had information, the Central Intelligence Agency that had information, other intelligence agencies within the federal government, and they didn't share information. They weren't even able to communicate. Crazy. Think right? about that. We, we, have, we have the strongest government in the world, the best military minds in the world, and they really didn't communicate. And that's, right. that, was, that was why this brilliance from a crystal about building a network and getting integrated, getting the military essentially integrated with these agencies and an interagency relationship. You know, once, once we started to, to, to actually share information, cooperate with each other and communicate, think about how valuable it is for all of your, your 10 businesses together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you really get those people working together um, and we and we in, in our in our um, uh, darn hold on a second I get rid of this call uh, and I, hold on one second um, okay so and and I look at it this way too Ozzy when I was small in business I still had great partners and friends out there like you and I have had right that are out for our best interest and where you can't find the expertise the strength of the your own organization. Use your network, right? Use your network and, and friends and, 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 uh, and your, uh, your vendors or wherever you can find the intelligence, right? And, and, and even when it's small business can use people outside their own business as the network of strength to defeat the enemy, the enemy being the competitor, right? Right. Uh, I, you can think of it in so many ways. That, and again, the military, perfect, you know, perfect example that I think we can carry into business. So that's cool. Good job picking that one up, Robbie. Yeah, right. Um, that, it was it. all your, your words here, Ozzy. I'm, I'm just reiterating. <laughs> yeah, mine was, my, mine, was, mine was a stream of consciousness. Yours was a good thought. <laughs> Robbie, uh, Ozzy usually hits our golf out, our, our foundation golf outing every year with our buddy Paul Darley. And uh, you got to get out there and, and uh, hang with them when, they, when, they, when we do that this year because you'll, you'll, uh, you'll get a lot out of that. Having, the, having this guy and Paul Darley in the same foursome is uh, invaluable to a young guy like you. Yeah, I got plenty to learn. Yeah, well, yeah Paul's Paul's a great guy. You know, I, I mean, we've been friends for a long time. We were in a we were in a forum together, and and then uh, and then he left. We're we're now in two separate forums. But um, I got him now, dude. He's I, I know, I know, I know. So he, he's uh, he's one of, he's uh, one of my best friends also, and one of your best friends. So we got that in common, and and uh, you know, just you're blessed if you can be. Uh, if you can have the love of that guy, right? Yeah, so. Paul's. You know, I sit on I sit on his uh, board, and and you right. know, he's he's a, he's a hardworking guy. He he, yes. he likes to play, but he's a hardworking, very very good hearted person. 
Uh, yes, so, and Robbie, you got to go back and listen to that podcast with Paul Darley if you haven't heard it, or read his book, Sold. I got a couple extra copies in my office there and my office at home. So, yeah. I'm, I'm all right. right now, anyway, so that's perfect. We, uh, yeah, we've got to read Sold. It's great for you and what you do and for us uh, and, and what you're going to do for the future. So, hey, we don't want to spend too much of your time. You were awesomely generous uh, to do this for us. And we really appreciate it, Bud, to be, uh, you know, to be the, the, the champ you are in life for us to be able to have you on and be able to inspire people across the, the, the globe because this thing is going to grow and grow. Our podcast is growing pretty fast. And for you to for you have a person like you to inspire others to be more than they think they could be otherwise is, uh, is, is, is the whole reason for this. So we appreciate you, Ozzy. It's, a, it's an awesome story. And I love you, man, as a friend and, and, uh, and, and, a, and somebody I look up to. So thanks a lot. Thanks, Gary. I love you too, brother. I appreciate it. You're, you know, kind words, and you know, like I said in the beginning, you're and you're a really giving person, and I just, I'm, I'm very, I'm blessed to know you. Uh, so I should say that. Thanks a lot, brother. And yeah. and we're 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 praying for your for for big sister. You know, even though she looks like she's your younger sister, dude, she's she's a beautiful woman. Her, she, I, I met her, Marco. She's an amazing woman, and and uh, I, I want to talk to her pretty soon too about some things. So I'm gonna be giving her a call. But uh, we're, praying for, we're praying for her, for Patty, and, uh, and, uh, and stuff. So uh, God bless you guys. Same to you guys. Thanks, and, guys. And that's Thanks, it God. for another, another uh, episode of Dish Digger CEO. See ya. If you enjoy this show, please share with anyone else you think will find value here. And please go to our website, ditchdiggerceo.com for show notes, links, video clips, and more nuggets of entrepreneurial wisdom. Don't forget to follow me on social media at ditchdiggerceo and at Gary Rabine. If you listen to our show and want to become more successful, you will become more successful. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Though I was called Ditch Digger best I can Discovered entrepreneurship Scaling business plans Then I became the CEO man We're blessed to build a business in America Where soldiers fight for our freedom every day Dad's work ethic was taught from the seed of a Gravel truck rolling down Highway 31. Lord, I was called Ditch Digger Man, aiming for a living and doing the best I can. Discovered entrepreneurship, scaling business plans, then I became the CEO man.